Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm joined by my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello, and happy January. Oh my God. Ew, this is the first episode of 2020. Oh my God. That's so weird. I'm pretty sure there's like a stabby <laughs> somewhere in between, but this is our first real episode of 2020. First full episode of 2020. Yes. Yeah, there should definitely be a stabby before this. So, but yes, for first full episode. Hello, hello. Yay. We are here for part two of the Lacey Peterson case. Holy shit. So if you are listening and have not listened to part one, pause, go back to part one, listen to it, then come back. Yeah, get caught up, then come back. Yes, yes. But besides that, hello, hello. Welcome back. Hello, new people. We're happy to have you. If you would like to check us out on social media and hang out, you can head to the link tree in the show notes and find us on all of the platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. We have a amazing Facebook group. You could come hang out with us there as well. Mm Mm-hmm. If you would like to support the show, you can click in the link tree. You'll find our Patreon or go to patreon.com slash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get bonus episodes, swag, all kinds of great stuff. And it supports Jessica and I over here on the show. But before we get started, of course, we are (laughs) recording part one and part two in one sitting. So if you listen to part one, you should know what we're drinking. But if you didn't and for some reason you ain't going back and you're still here. I'm going to tell you again. <laughs> White Claw. Jessica's drinking White Claw. I'm drinking White Claw. And I'm still, I'm almost done, but I still got a little bit of cranberry ginger ale I got going on. I'm out of cocoa now, Aww. but I still have my water, which I should be drinking. Yes. Yes, yes. Also, FYI, Spooksters, it is 12.03 my time <laughs> in the morning. And so you know I love you because <laughs> I go to bed at 10. Yeah. We're uh, we're partying hard right now, Jesus. There are literal times Tara texts me at like a decent hour. It'll be like 8.45. And then she's like, are you okay? Are you alive? Are you asleep? What's happening? And the next morning, I write back to her at an ungodly hour. Oh, sorry, I fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, it was like 8.45. What are you doing? (laughs) I was reading. But uh, yes, so... We are going to take our quick promo break, and we'll be right back. The devil was once the most beautiful and favored of all the heavenly host. But once infected with the sin of pride, he was cast out of the Lord's sight into the farthest depths of hell. In his humiliation, the devil raged, "'Tis better to rule in hell than serve in heaven.'" My offspring, the October Pod, will one day conquer mankind 
and all the Lord's works. And so, reborn once each month at 1.38 a.m. by man's reckoning of time, the October pod rises from its slumber, seeking what bold individualists it may devour. Edward October presents October Pod, a terrifying spook show. Available now on YouTube, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and at OctoberPodVHS.com. OctoberPod, retro horror for bold individualists. Welcome back, guys. So just really fast recap. In part one, we covered the backgrounds on Lacey and Scott, how they met, went through the timeline per Scott of what happened with him and Lacey the last evening slash morning he saw her. And then we kind of scooted along through the discovery of Amber Fry and her press conference. Yes. Yes. All right. Now we are going to resume and go on through. So Scott did a couple media interviews that were just cringy as shit. One was with Diane Sawyer and he did some other ones too. I just know with that one, they just kept being like, why did you keep saying this was the last or this would be the first Christmas without your wife? Like, what the fuck? That's no. What is wrong with you? Right. At this point, everyone in America hates him because of, you know, Amber Fry thing. And they're like, this motherfucker killed his wife. He hasn't even been arrested. Nothing's been found yet. It's already done. Mm -hmm. And another mistake he makes is when he sits down for Good Morning America, there's no attorney or anything. I mean, I think that would have been a good point to have one. Just saying. Well, he he did have an attorney. With you, I'm just saying, for an interview. Right. But his attorney told him, no, don't do this. And Scott was like, I'm not going to listen to you. Basically, his attorney advised him that there would be no good to come of him going on national TV. He's trying to justify that he has a missing wife and that he had an inappropriate relationship with another woman. And the two, like, if you, like, saying that in the same sentence sounds weird. Like, you shouldn't be having extramarital affairs Mm -hmm. and continue to talk to the person with extramarital affairs, you know. And that's, that's something that Scott doesn't really catch on to very quickly at all. No. And he tries to be like, oh, Lacey knew about it and she was okay with it. But I'm sorry. First of all, she's eight months pregnant. Right. And second of all, she obviously was calling her mama about everything. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Like she was calling her mom about everything. If she had learned that her husband was having an affair, you know she would have called Sharon right that second or went and stayed at her mom's house or like it would have been known, in my opinion. I do have thoughts on this. Okay. So my first thought is that she didn't know because there's no, like you're saying, like she's way too close. However, if you really think about the fact that they think that Scott, like they think that Scott had affairs before because it's like fair word against his and he's already been proven to be a cheater with Amber Mm -hmm. and obviously a little bit with Sean and possibly before marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's kind of this thought like, okay, we believe that he's a lying cheater. So there is a possibility that Lacey did know about this infidelity. It would make sense that she would know. It would also make sense for the reason why they moved away from San Luis Obispo, because getting away from that. Also, the way I think about it is put yourself at eight months pregnant. What is your number one priority? Get ready for that baby. Right. 
I could see them having this conversation because he didn't say she was okay with it. He just said she didn't make like a big deal out of it, you know, and he said she didn't say it was fine. But I could see her saying, you know what, let's just get through the holidays. Let's get this baby out and then let's figure out our life. Mm. Right. Because she was getting everything she wanted. Granted, she wanted it with Scott. But she could have been so stressed out, like having a baby that she's like, I can't deal with this right now. Yeah. Right. And and then probably think about it. Like, would you go like if you were contemplating not leaving your husband, he's telling you he's going to end this affair, you know, and maybe she said you, this better be over by the time Connor is born, you know, like because you mentioned in the first episode that he kind of was saying that this was like his midlife crisis. And by the way, I just want to say this. I'm not justifying infidelity at all. Like if my husband cheated on me, he pretty much knows what would happen. There would be some (laughs) there would be a criminal report filed. Like, he knows. (laughs) we've talked about it. And I totally trust my husband. I don't don't want anyone to think that I've ever not trusted my husband. Just, you know, when you talk about something like this, he'd be, you know, I would say, like, if you ever cheated on me, I would, you know, we do those conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) if you were not going to leave your husband, why tell people who would try to encourage you to leave your husband? Mm -hmm. Because Sharon would have been like, you got to get away. True. Her friends are like, yeah, if that had happened, we would have said leave him, right? Like, we would have tried to get her to leave. Mm -hmm. Lacey knows this. Right. About her family and friends. So maybe she's just trying to figure out, like, get through the holidays, try to really figure shit out, really think about it. I also think that 4% of men in marriages cheat on their wives, and that's what's reported. It's a higher percentage amongst men who have pregnant wives because, especially with their firstborn. And and by the way, I want to say this caveat. Asterisk disclaimer, I am in no way condoning cheating. I think if you are if you cheat on your spouse, you are a horrible human being and you need to rethink your life choices. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. However, there comes a moment when you're facing, especially immature men, they are faced with a moment of, I now have to put something else besides like my wife in front of me. And a lot of times, like, Lacey was very much the trophy wife. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's perky. She's like, you know, Mm -hmm. the girl next door and the supermodel all kind of wrapped up into one. So he was getting this, like, admiration from this beautiful human being. And suddenly she stops and everything is about Connor. And it makes complete sense because this happens a lot that men go, well, it's not like I'm missing something and I'm going to go find it between someone else's legs. And unfortunately that happens a lot. And unfortunately there's a lot of women out there who are just like, you know what? I'm going to forgive him. It's what's best for my child. And I'm going to keep going. We don't a hundred percent know people can swear up and down that Lacey would never make this decision. But at the end of the day, women who are pregnant make weird decisions. And this could be one of those weird decisions that she made Because she's thinking about Connor, not about Scott or herself. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. I know, at least for me, it didn't seem like there was a lot out there as far as, well, besides him being like, oh, we're fine, on their relationship or like the state of their relationship, really. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really anything. So, yeah, I guess that would kind of make sense. If she did know, she was obviously trying to keep it under wraps you know, we don't know what was going on behind closed doors because right. obviously this ended in a murder. So, you know what I mean? Right. If you're on the team where he did it, then obviously, like, 
there you go. But if you're on the team, he didn't. But still, like either camp, you don't know what was going on. Right. So we can't say for sure how she would be acting. Well, I mean, even Sharon said, like, in all of the time that she had known Scott, and at this point, it's almost, it's eight years she's known him. She never heard he and Lacey fight, raise their voices to one another, even have, like, a little, like, squabble, which, by the way, is very unhealthy. Like, if you're in that relationship, you really need to check your reality filter because that is crumbling. (laughs) Yeah. There's a difference in fighting all the time because you're unhappy and then there's a difference in fighting for something you believe in and working on things in your relationship Mm -hmm. but it also could come from the fact that a lot of people try not to air their dirty laundry true and maybe that's what something Lacey and scott have always done because sharon didn't know about these extramarital affairs and Mm -hmm. from the beginning of their relationship so that's why it's even a question so this could just be something that she knows scott does yeah. We don't a hundred percent know their relationship and know what happened. And I'm by no stretch of the imagination am I saying that they had an open marriage and that she was fine with him going out and screwing everything that walked. But I'm pretty sure that she knew he'd been unfaithful before. So I don't know if it was such a shock to her, is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So while we're on the, you know, the line of Scott making questionable choices. In February, he actually trades in Lacey's Land Rover. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I kind of get it, but it's still weird to me. Like, it just doesn't sit right with me. Right. He says that he traded in her Land Rover because the cops at this point still had his pickup. And he needed something for work and the Land Rover wasn't going to cut it, you know, because he was in sales for this fertilizing company. So he needed a truck. Mm -hmm. On that hand, I can understand it. But it's just still it's kind of like, I don't know, just because she's missing. And if she had came back, I just try to put myself in her position because I would be like I was taken or whatever happened to me. And you traded in my car. Like, what the fuck? Because also around this time, Scott talks about like really early on obviously uh selling the house now does he move or he like goes down to san diego or something like that yeah well about i would say like march february he ends up going to san diego because the media like he couldn't even leave his house plus he was the most hated man in modesto because everyone thought he killed his wife so people were harassing him reporters were standing out on his like driveway with like bullhorns and shouting nobody believes you Mm -hmm. i understand like why because i think they kept his truck longer but they released her land rover yeah i okay like i don't know if he was talking about selling the house because he was trying to because at this point the reward is up to like five hundred thousand and i'm wondering if he's thinking about selling the house to up the reward i don't know because like that's something i i thought about like Mm-hmm. And we don't know. We don't know what it is. Like, there could be maybe somebody was telling him, you know, at this point in time, it's not looking good that she's coming back. You don't know what is also in his ear. You don't know. We don't know why the decisions he's making. And also, I think he's just being a bit irrational. His wife is missing and he's out of control. Like, um, early, in the last episode, I talked about he's doing things that, you know, get him control mm-hmm. and selling his house and, 
continuing to work is within his control. Right. So I don't know who would freaking want to buy chemical fertilizer. Which, by the way, this is a man who had a ton of fertilizer and chemicals, but supposedly dumped his wife in the bay. You're telling me that he couldn't have, like, gotten a barrel and all his chemicals? Wouldn't you think that would have been more accessible? I don't know, man. Sorry, just saying. Moving on. <laughs> no, you're fine. So February 10th would come around, and this was Lacey's due date. Obviously, this is a big, big date because this is the day Connor was supposed to be born. So at this point, if Lacey was still alive, this could be not just a pregnant person missing, but a pregnant person who's given birth and has a newborn baby and is in danger. There's a candlelight vigil held over at East Loma Park. This is also Amber's birthday. Mm -hmm. And he calls her and he tells her because she's have I think she's like at a friend's house that's like having a party for her or something like that. And he's like, go check the bushes. He's loved a gift for her. I can't remember in total detail, but there's like roses, some kind of jewelry or something, I think, and a fucking Sarah McLaughlin CD. Sarah McLaughlin. The fucking CD stuck in my brain. But yeah. I have my thoughts about why Scott continued to talk with Amber. And I think this is from an outside perspective, and I don't want to give Scott too much credit. But like part of it is that he continued this relationship with Amber because he was afraid if he didn't, she was going to turn on him. Which she did, but you know. Yeah, I mean, the press conference had already happened. I don't know. I just think he's fucking trash. You couldn't have went and dropped this off the day before, the day after. You fucking do it the same day that your kids that, I mean, if you think he didn't do it, his kid's still missing. This is his, the due date. I don't know. Right. I just think that's really like, I mean, Scott's not a very sensitive guy, obviously. Like, he's not thinking in that way. Right. But I'm just like, fuck, man. What the fuck? No, I, I agree. I don't think he was making the best of choices. <laughs> I think, especially when it came to Amber. I have a question. Do you think if he had gotten ruled not guilty, do you think in his mind he thought he was going to like reconcile with Amber and like run away to like some tropical island or something? No, I don't think he ever intended to really, really end up with Amber. Okay. I think because when you listen to their conversation, it's like he's so methodical about what he's saying. It almost sounds rehearsed. You're so special and, you know... All of these things, like, it sounded so forced to me. Like, mm. you know, then, like, when you listen to him before, like, he thinks she knows about Lacey. Like, he's so like, oh, I'm in Paris and everything's so great. And then everything is so serious and dark and so, like, forced. Like, you're so special and I care so much about you. And But then again, like, Amber, at this point in time, like, he knows this, but Amber keeps talking to him. Amber calls him just as much as she he calls her. It was just funny. I was I don't know if I was listening to a date with Dateline because they did the Dateline episode on this or what I was listening to. But mm -hmm. someone was talking about that like weird, gravelly, creepy voice he had. Or if this was like one of the YouTube videos I watched, but someone was like, he sounds like he's taking a shit. Right. It literally <laughs> sounds forced like he's taking a shit. That's a perfect analogy. Like if you listen to his early recordings of her, like with her, their conversation is so light and wonderful. And, you know, like not that it's good because he's supposed to be at a candlelight vigil for his wife. But like Scott Peterson might be a dirtbag, but I don't know if he killed his wife. I'm just saying. 
So then in March, it gets reclassified as a homicide. And this kind of just kind of sets things into motion. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to April 13th, the baby's body is found on the bay. Then the next day, a woman is walking her dog and they find the body of an adult female lodged between rocks at Point Isabel Regional Shoreline, which is about a mile south of the baby where his point was found. And they conduct the autopsies. They aren't able to find the cause of death, unfortunately, but they are able to submit DNA testing to see if they can see who it is. But authorities are assuming that it is Lacey and Connor. The state lab, they don't know if it'll have enough to really yield anything, but the DNA sample from the baby, because he was in much better condition, confirms it is Connor. So they are able to arrest Scott. Yes. Scott was arrested on April 18th, 2003. Because the Stanislaus district attorney was let, or his name is James, I think it's pronounced Brazilton. He was quoted to say, I feel pretty strongly it's Peterson. They had obtained an arrest warrant for Scott much earlier, but the district attorney was like, don't you dare execute that without like hard evidence because otherwise he'll just walk. And then when the bodies came in, they were like, okay, and they went to like look for him. And he's obviously in San Diego because he had to flee to San Diego because he couldn't really, he couldn't even go to the store in Modesto without people hating him. So he went down to be with his family. I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's also not in the house that he shared with Lacey. So essentially, Scott left his house that morning. He like, I think it was him, his brother-in-law, his brother and his dad were going to go to this golf club called Terry Pines and go golfing that day to kind of get their minds off of it. And as Scott was driving, he kind of noticed that there was a van following him. And he's like, shit, it's the media. Now, mind you, as soon as Scott got to San Diego, because he'd already been growing a goatee, he like kind of cheap ass bleached his hair to turn it that like weird red color. I love his excuse, though. (laughs) Well, his excuse is that he was hiding from the media. Oh, no. His excuse was, I've just been swimming a lot, so my hair got lightened. I didn't dye it. Oh, well, that's not true. He he dyed his hair. Right. I'm like, no, Scott, why are you saying stupid shit? Yeah, don't say that. No. Um, Which was interesting because he started growing a goatee before he even left Modesto. So when the police were like, look, he grew a beard and then he dyed it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay. Like, he literally met with one of the detectives with a full on little goatee thing he had going. So it's not like they didn't know he had facial hair. Now, granted, he had just left Modesto and went to San Diego, so it would make sense why he would color his hair because then as he's out and about, he could just live his life. Mm -hmm. So he's driving and he notices this car is following him. So he begins to drive erratically, um, a little bit like O.J. Simpson, (laughs) just like, I'm getting the hell out of here, just driving around San Diego, pulling into like, you know, parking lots and out and going like 80 to 90 on the freeway and then slamming on his brakes and getting off on exits because his car is following him. And he's thinking it's the media. They found him. And he's like, fuck my life. But it's (laughs) lo and behold, it's the police. So after a while, he thinks he's lost them. And he's like talking to his brother on the phone. And he's like, hey, I guess I could come golfing after all. So he's he starts to head towards Terry Pines, which is in La Jolla. He gets basically to the entrance and then they like whoop him like he gets pulled over 
the red and blues go. And he's like, shit, that wasn't, you know, like he even said, like, I was flipping him off. Like, I thought this was the media and it wasn't. So he had an assortment of goodies in his car. Mind you, where this golf course was is 30 miles away from this the Mexico and California border because pretty much anywhere in San Diego, you're within like an hour, if not less, of the border. So it La Jolla is very close. So in his car, they found $15,000 in cash, which has an excuse. So when all this stuff started happening, he put his mother on his account and she went to withdraw money. And Jackie says, I accidentally, like, she went to withdraw, like, $1,000. And she withdrew $10,000. Instead of putting it back in and having a hold, she gave him the money so that he could put it back in or use it as needed. So it wasn't even that Scott took it out. But he had $5,000 on him. He was obviously kind of living a transient life at this time. Because I'm sure he was popping back and forth between Modesto and La Jolla. So he probably had cash on him. He had four cell phones because he's weird. One was for Amber. So there's that mystery. There was three more for other things. Who knows? I'm sure one was for work and who knows what the fuck he was doing with the other ones. Right. And they were like not super high techy. They were just burner phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had some survival gear like knives and that kind of tactical. He also had camping gear. They said he had probably about two to three weeks worth of clothes in there and like 15 pairs of shoes. Again, I'm pretty sure he's just living out of a car, like transient life around. He had his brother's ID, which everyone said, oh, he had this because he was going to go through the border and use his brother's ID to like get across the border, which it's a driver's license. I guess maybe back in 2002, you could get into Mexico with just a driver's license. I would think you would need a passport. It is a different country. I don't know. I didn't look that up. The weird thing he had in his car was 12 Viagra pills. That's like the weirdest thing, in my opinion. Honestly, I don't think Scott was going to run away to Mexico because he's a very high profile. I'm pretty sure if he was going to run, he would have run the second they found the bodies. I don't think he would have waited for DNA. I think the second they said they found bodies in the bay, if Scott was going to run, he would have ran right then because... That would make the most sense because people are distracted, bodies, bodies, bodies. And then they're like, well, where's Scott? Oh, he's gone. The fact that he waited, they found her body on the 14th. They found his body on the 13th. So he waited four to five days to like leave. I think it's a very well fabricated story the Modesto PD put out. So then they start driving back from San Diego to Modesto. And on the way... They get a call from the coroner's office confirming the DNA is Connor and Lacey's. The detectives, both John Bueller and Al Brocchini, they both state that he just didn't seem to react. According to Scott, talking to his dad later, recorded in the jail, it's not that he didn't react, it's that he wanted to throw up and he wanted to get angry and upset because they just found the body of his wife and child and they confirmed it. But he wasn't going to give those two the satisfaction of seeing him upset. Because at this point, anytime Scott has any kind of a reaction, whether Scott is stoic or he's upset, people are just like, if he doesn't do anything, people are like, oh, he's a monster because he has no feelings. But if he like actually shows emotion and cries, they're like, oh, he's faking it for attention. 
Mm-hmm. And these are the same people, <clears throat> Nancy Grace, who say the same thing over and over again. And it's like, I'm sorry, it can't be both. It's either he has emotion and he is upset or he doesn't care and he's not upset. So like pick one, pick a narrative. Right. On April 21st, 2003, Judge Nancy Ashley of Stanislaus County officially charged him with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. It was first degree murder for Lacey and second degree murder for Connor. The special circumstances is that he's being charged with the murder of a pregnant woman. So it's not just like one count, it's two. Mm -hmm. He, of course, pled not guilty. She asked him, are you guilty? And he said, no, I'm innocent. The next little bit gets a little bit rocky for Scott. So... Mind you, all of Modesto and Stanislaus County hate Scott Peterson. Hate him. So imagine being told you are going to have a jury of your peers and think about it from Modesto's point of view. He wasn't going to get a fair trial there. Mm -mm. So at the beginning, basically, the district attorney told Scott Peterson, this is going to get really expensive. You can't afford this attorney. You can't afford an attorney we're going to assign public defenders to you. So he was assigned three different public defenders. We don't need to know their names. They didn't stick around very long. They're kind of meh, impartial. I mean, I wouldn't say they're not important, but they weren't that important. So Scott's family starts getting phone calls from people around them. And some of the things that they're saying are that literally you have to sell the farm to save your son. If you think Scott is innocent, which his family did, they thought he was innocent, you need to protect him by hiring a lawyer. Now, there was a a lawyer who had actually been making commentary, like fighting Nancy Grace on Larry King and all all these different shows called Mark Gallegos or Gargos. There we go. So Mark Gargos is this famous lawyer. I mean, he worked with like Winona Ryder when she knows she went shopping. Um, (laughs) She was researching her role, uh, (laughs) quote unquote, worked with like Michael Jackson. He he had some very big, high profile cases and he really knows how to handle media. And Scott's dad, Lee, calls him up and he's interested because he's been making commentary this whole time. And he's basically been very pro Scott didn't do this. He's very like the dude's an idiot, but he's not a murderer. And he asks him point blank, how much is it going to cost for you to represent him? And Mark comes back with a million dollars. That's a lot. Yeah. So they think about it, but they ultimately decide to hire him because he's kind of the best. Mm -hmm. He works in conjunction with a with another attorney slash investigator by the name of Matthew Dalton, who at this point in time uproots his life, moves to Modesto, and starts to live and investigate the case from Modesto. He goes and sees Scott every single day. He interviews hundreds of people. He goes and walks every bit of that pathway. He does everything he can possibly think of to help Scott Peterson. This is also where they start actually getting all of the information that the police and the prosecution have on Scott. And a lot of it is really circumstantial and stupid. One of the things they did is they used an exhaustive amount of time and resources to check back into Scott's past to see if he's ever committed any kind of other like violent crime. They basically turned up a goddamn Boy Scout. He 
had never so much as been in a fight. He was, you know, respectable. People liked him. So really, they wasted all this time trying to dig up dirt on him when there was no dirt to dig up on him. They start seeing things like what the police are using against him, and they start to really build a case. Mark goes to the judge in Stanislaus County and says, look, there's no way my client is going to get a fair trial here. We have to move this case. And they go, fine. They find a new place to do it, which is in Redwood City, which is in the South Peninsula of the San Francisco Bay. Mm -hmm. Which earlier, if you recall, I said to make note of the Bay Area because this is where the story broke. We're talking that literally the epicenter for Northern California news. Right. You're going to take the most high profile case in the country and put it right in the heartbeat of it. Apparently. It's just crazy. They started interviewing jurors and I think it was like around 1,200 jurors they interviewed. They could say confidently about 50% of the jurors that they interviewed thought Scott Peterson was guilty. Mm-hmm. That leaves a pool of about 50% of people who didn't. But then people, they started like, because they, there's this thing called sl- like sleuth jurors. And what they do is they basically try to get on a jury so that they can fry someone. And they had to be very careful in this case because they have figured they were going to get a lot and they did get a lot. And they caught one woman made it all the way through basically selection and almost was picked. But she was like in an online forum, basically bragging about how stupid they all were and how she was going to get on that jury and fry his ass. And one of the people in that forum like printed it out and sent it to Mark and his team. And they were like, bye, bitch. (laughs) They dwindled it down and they got the 12 jurors they needed and the seven alternates. And they're glad that I'm glad they had alternates because they were going to need them. Mm hmm. And on June 1st of 2004, which is just nine days shy of me graduating from high school, they did opening statements. This was also a really hard time because the way that the Redwood City like courthouse is set up is that you have to go. There's only one entrance. There's not like a back entrance for witnesses or anything. Everyone has to go through one door. Mm-hmm. So like Scott's family, Lacey's family, witnesses, jurors all had to go through the front door. So On June 1st, they do opening statements. Now, the prosecution thinks, I got this tied up. This is really easy. And they make this big grandstand of this thing, including saying, we know that Lacey Peterson wasn't alive that day on December 24th, and he's lying. And you know how we know he's lying? Because he said that they watched Martha Stewart and that in his initial interview with the police, he mentioned that they were talking about making meringue. And in that episode of Martha Stewart that aired on that day, there is zero reference. But you know what there was the day before they talk about meringue? Well, on June 2nd, (laughs) Mark gets up and he basically goes, hold on, hits play. And they play the episode of Martha Stewart. And guess what happens in like the last five to ten minutes of the show? One of the individuals, the the guest goes, well, what should we do with all these egg whites we have? And Martha goes, ooh, we could make some meringues. Yeah, they make meringue cookies. Right. And so right out the gate, defense is making the prosecution look fucking ridiculous. This is their opening statement. We know he's lying. Uh, You didn't even watch the whole episode. 
Because if you'd watched the whole episode, you'd see that they talked about meringue cookies. And there's no way this would have been something that you said. I'm going to kind of go over the evidence that the prosecution like said, but then kind of outline it. So one of the things that they said was that there was a single strand of Lacey's hair that was found tightly gripped in a pair of rusty pliers that were found in the boat, along with like the fishing, all the fishing gear, like the lures and all that stuff. Now, they were like, there's no way that this could this this hair could get there because Lacey has never been to the, the storage warehouse and she didn't even know he had a boat. So how could her hair be in his boat? She didn't even know it existed. One dumbasses, he took the money out of their joint checking account. And it was like $1,400. I'm pretty sure that's a big chunk of money. Mm -hmm. Also, just side note, like the boat that he bought was tiny. If he was going to kill someone and throw her over, he could have bought a bigger boat or a much cheaper boat. Just saying. He just bought a very particular boat. Well, this is later disputed Mm -hmm. because of the fact that, and this is by our favorite detective, Brokini. He gets up on the stand and he's basically testifying that they checked all the leads, they did all this stuff. Well, come to find out that in one of the reports that Do- or that Detective Brocchini took, he actually redacted or removed some information about a key witness that places Lacey in the warehouse. And his excuse, mind you, is that it was in another detective's report, so it didn't need to be in his report. Now, I asked Thomas, who at one point in time wanted to be a cop and actually worked with some people, and that we have friends that are cops, and I asked this question, because it was in somebody else's report, would you just not put it in your report? And they were like, absolutely not. It's overkill. Like, you put it in, like, you put it in everything that is. So, Essentially, the way this the storage facility slash warehouse was, um, it was like a long stretch. And I don't know if Scott's had a bathroom or not, but there was a an adjoining or it was either right across the way or one near Scott's had a bathroom and Lacey was with him on December 23rd. I'm assuming before they went and got the haircut and she asked if she could use the bathroom. Detective Brocchini took this out of his report. This is a huge deal. This is like falsifying police reports. And here, here's the thing about Brokini. He was known to be like a pit bull or like a, you know, a bulldog. Like he gets in there and he tries to get the information out. They say he always finds the evidence that fits his narrative. And he doesn't give up until he finds evidence that fits his narrative, not necessarily the truth. So he's kind of known for that. So this particular bit of evidence, this particular testimony didn't fit what he was trying to tell the public that there's no way Lacey's hair could have ever gotten in that boat because there's no way like Lacey was standing around bored and picked up a pair of rusty pliers and played with them. There's no way that Scott Peterson hugged his wife goodbye on the day he went fishing and a piece of her hair stuck to his coat and got trapped in his stuff mm-hmm. you know like there's no way that she didn't go she didn't go see the boat right after he bought it and climbed inside or played around and her hair got stuck yeah yeah on land yeah yeah right there's no indication on the hair that it had been in salt water or anything like that it was just a hair and for a long time they just presumed it to be Lacey's hair Yeah, and they couldn't even really totally confirm because it didn't have, like, the hair follicle either. So it was just like, it's a brown hair, so it's hers. Right. And it could have been anyone's. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It could have been one of his clients. It could have been the previous owner's wife's. Yeah. We don't know. The other thing that they said, oh, Scott's obviously guilty is because three days after Lacey went missing, Scott added two pornographic channels to their cable package. We've established that he is not a smart man and he is a little bit scumbag and skeezy. <laughs> Tara was like a little bit, no, a big bit. <laughs> I don't think this is weird. I think men are men sometimes and porn is a thing that they do. I mean, if you're sitting out there and you're like, my husband doesn't watch porn, you lie to yourself. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay that you lie to yourself. I mean, it's okay that oh. you don't believe that, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I think it was weird of a choice of him to add that, but I don't think it's literally an indication he killed her. Yeah. I mean, are you saying that every single person who has pornographic channels attached to their cable murder people? Because if so, Playboy could be like held liable for a lot of shit. Right. Obviously, the prosecution was using the fact that Scott tried to or thought about selling his house and sold her Range Rover to you know, against him to, and these are all like character things. These are not, a lot of these things are not necessarily like actual evidence. And the only kind of forensic evidence that they could ever link him to is that hair. But again, they couldn't even like determine it was her hair. They brought in an expert. He was a hydrologist. His name was Rick Ching. Basically a hydrologist is someone who studies the movement, distribution, and management of water which sounds like a super fun job. <laughs> and basically, he came in and said that at the beginning, that the how Lacey's body came up had everything to do with the tidal movement, how he obviously had weighted her down with five weights. And when he did this, after the big storm that happened in April, her body was cut loose. And he said he could map the exact route that Connor's body took. And then later on in his same thing, under his cross-examination, he had to redact it and say, probably it's not precise. So at this point, every witness that the prosecution puts up, Mark gets up and just bats the hell down. Like anything. Like the computer expert. Oh my goodness, the computer expert. <laughs> they basically bring in this computer expert to say Scott Peterson was going online and researching tidal move like wave movements and tide movements and all these things that would make it premeditation and they didn't even realize that he was going to give the defense their biggest win ever he's talking about their search history and he brings up at that around 8:45 on December 24th he brings up the fact that Someone was on their computer at their house searching for sunflower umbrellas and I think women's clothing. A scarf or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And Lacey loves sunflowers. In fact, she had a sunflower tattoo. Everyone knew this. So people are like, what? So the prosecution immediately has to try to fix this narrative because they've said that their thought is that Scott Peterson killed Lacey on the 23rd loaded her body up, and then left the 24th. This is their narrative. There's no way that this person was actually Lacey Peterson online. But it's too hard to conceive that Scott Peterson would be sitting there on the computer looking for this stuff like he's Lacey and then not say something 
as an alibi. To be like, no, she's alive. She was on the computer. I saw her. Check the computer. Because he knew that there was a computer expert. The defense had no idea about this. Scott didn't even know that she was on her computer. So then they find this out. And it's the biggest win because basically they've given refutable evidence that Lacey Peterson, well, I should say almost refutable evidence, that Lacey Peterson was alive the morning of December 24th, which immediately the prosecution snaps and then goes, you know what? That's right. She was alive. He killed her right after. So there was only about like an, an hour-ish because he he was at his workshop or on his way to his workshop by like 10.08 that morning. So there's you're saying that in an hour, in like less than an hour and 15 minutes, he murdered his wife, rolled her body up in a tarp, carried her outside with nobody seeing him in broad daylight, and then drove to the warehouse where he was there for what, like 30-something minutes? Mm-hmm. Like for a while, yeah. Yeah, because he like checked his email. He put together that tool. He made a couple phone calls. Like He did that. And Tara mentioned when she talked about this earlier, or at least in the previous episode, that his truck didn't fit like all the way back into the warehouse. So it's not like he could back it in so far that no one would see the bed of his truck. So you're trying to make me believe that his truck sat in a parking lot for over 30 minutes and he would have not, he would have taken the time to put a tool together. He'd have taken time to check emails. No, if her body is in that truck, he's going there, hitching up his boat and taking it with him. I mean, that's just the smart thing. I mean, yeah, but he's not smart either. So, you know, there's that. (laughs) Right. So at this point in time, the defense is looking really great. They've actually offered a couple other explanations. There was a burglary that took place on that supposedly had taken place around that day. Witnesses had said that this burglary had happened. But lo and behold, the burglars give alibis saying that, nope, we didn't have anything to do with that person. We we burglared. We burglarized on the 26th. A reporter actually was like, there's no fucking way they burglarized that house the morning of the 26th. I was standing there. It's most likely that they had someone give an alibi and lie for them because you wouldn't want to burglarize a house the same day a lady went missing, especially because that's like the first thing they say. But this doesn't even really make it to trial because they basically say, oh, no, that case is closed. Mm -hmm. There's also the thought that there was a satanic cult in Modesto at the time. A girl had been like kidnapped and raped and then released and then said that this cult had told her that they were going to kill around the Christmas time. And so this would make perfect sense because this would be the killing at Christmas time. And the fact that it was a pregnant woman would make this a super satanic ritual. Yeah. There's also the fact that Lacey's body had no head, no forearms, and was basically a torso. Mm-hmm. They say that's because the weights basically dislodged her. And this is one of the ways that like other experts disputed their hydralist expert by saying that that's not there. They've had bodies in the water for years, weighted down way better or even worse. And their body parts haven't dislodged. Right. Mind you, at the same time, about six months before this happened to Lacey, another woman who was eight months pregnant washed up in the bay with the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. Her head was missing and she was just a torso. So you're telling me that this isn't possible to be the same person 
you would have to basically say that Scott killed that woman as well. Yeah, which makes zero sense. Like, you're better off saying it's just a weird coincidence right. because she was dating or seeing and got pregnant by a married man. So the parallel is honestly just the parallel would be another man who doesn't want to have a baby with somebody, you know? Right. But it's like, that's a fucking coincidence. Right. To have the same body parts missing and all of that and be pregnant and end up both in the bay you know it's just i don't know that just that one sticks with me a lot there's a lot of parallels there right i mean it's that's a big sell the other thing is they're saying like nancy grace is said to have said on multiple occasions he was fishing on top of her body nancy grace please answer this question for me what person who committed a crime tells you exactly where their like the body is found right where their alibi is His alibi is that he left without Lacey Peterson at 10 something in the morning and went to the Berkeley Marina. Why exactly would he put the body right there? Why would he not lie and say that I went out under the Golden Gate or I went over here or I did something else? Like you wouldn't say like I was near this area. It doesn't make any sense. Also, they have been like telling the entire world his alibi and where he was and exactly where he went. So if you had abducted and kidnapped this pregnant woman and murdered her and needed a place to to take her body, this would be quite an easy thing because then people would be like, Scott Peterson did it because it's right where he said he went, which makes zero sense. See, that's my thing with this. I don't understand why some people act like it's so far-fetched that that would happen. They're like, why would somebody frame Scott? Because it's literally everywhere, and then they don't have to take the fall for fucking murdering somebody. Right, because they say frame Scott. Like, they say it like somebody came up, saw this family, and said, I hate Scott, and I want to frame him. No, I think what happened is that a crime occurred, and then they realized who they had, either kidnapped or otherwise, and went, we're going to get away with this because Scott Peterson is going to take the fall for it because we're going to put her body right where they found and the fact that it was found on the shore. Right, because I remember, I think it was in the Hulu documentary, maybe, they said you didn't even need a boat to dump a body. You could have drove right up and, you know. And just tossed her in the water a little bit and then she'd come right back. And one of the things is they said that, oh, well, because she'd been in the water anywhere from three to six months, they had no idea how much, how long she'd been in the water, that... All of her, like, intestines, other than, like, all of her insides, except for her uterus, was removed, which is super creepy and whatnot. But here's the other weird thing is that Connor was not in the womb. He had been what they try to call a coffin birth, which is when the gases of the body push, essentially, the fetus out. But Lacey Peterson's womb showed zero sign of being cut open, anything like that, and did not appear to have given birth vaginally. So they're not 100% sure. Yeah, I don't remember, like, you could take this for what it is, but I swear I I heard something somewhere Mm -hmm. that said there was, like, cut marks on her stomach and maybe he was taken out. Because I was watching this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a mortician. So she was explaining what a coffin birth is. And so she said that. I don't know where she saw that info. Mm-hmm. 
And then obviously we can't look at the autopsy stuff because all of that's sealed. So Right. There is like a picture out there mm. of a torso that they say is Lacey's that looks like it has a bunch of like scratch marks right above a big open wound. Mm-hmm. But again, you don't 100% know. And the fact that Connor was found with tape essentially this like weird tape stuff yeah knotted around his neck is weird because they were like oh no a debris the debris like in the ocean is what caused it but it's like tight around his neck yeah like it was done yeah it's not like tight like it won't move but it's like tight where it doesn't look like it would just fit over his head and so there is a theory that connor actually lived past lacy because at at eight months, he would have been a viable fetus. He would have been almost fully formed and whatnot. So there is the theory that Lacey was abducted by someone and the baby was removed and that Connor actually died on December 29th. This was a an expert witness for the defense. Unfortunately, his name is... Well, his name is Charles March. He did really well when Mark interviewed him, but on cross-examination, he fell apart, which made himself seem uncredible. And the prosecution jumped on that and basically was like, nope, he's not a credible witness. He doesn't even have the credentials to know what he's talking about because he's basing all of his assumptions off of the fact that if you back up Lacey Peterson's conception two weeks prior to her taking a pregnancy test, it would put the time of death for Connor at the 26th. Yeah, but your fucking tidal wave person wasn't even credible because they had no experience with moving bodies or anything like that. So they can fuck off with that shit. Right. So there's a lot of like expert witnesses that weren't really expert witnesses. Mm -hmm. Every side was grasping at straws here. Yeah. One of the interesting things about this trial is the turnover of jurors. Mm, Yeah. The very first juror to be removed was Justin Faulkner. So like I mentioned earlier, is they all come in through the same door. So he was coming in at the same time Brent Rocha was coming in. And they said, like, because they asked originally, like, what happens if we run into them or something? Are we allowed to say hi? Are we allowed to be like, you know, and they said, you know, use discretion, no talking about the case. Well, because the juror was in, like, basically standing there with Brent, Justin said to Brent, oh, I'm really sorry. You're not going to be on the news this morning because I'm in your shot. And they like laughed and then they parted ways. So there's this other juror. His name is John. I feel like John is a douche. So John, if you're listening, I feel like you're a douche because you're (laughs) you're a douche. Um, He basically didn't like Justin. Justin was like a pro Scott guy. And I think a lot of people just didn't want him on there. But he was kind of talkative. He would like talk amongst the jurors, which you're not supposed to do. And other people said the same thing. Like, you know, there were some times where he would talk inappropriately about the case and you're not supposed to. So this dude, John, juror number like eight or whatever, wrote a letter to the judge saying this. So they had to stop the court case and basically look into this. And then he was ultimately removed. Now, this poor guy, this poor Justin dude, like he kind of got it because he went up and he was like, you're they're not representing Scott appropriately in the media. Like the things that they come out here and say that like happened didn't necessarily happen. Yeah. And like the, um, the thing with that other missing girl, Mm -hmm. they tried to pin it on him and it was like literally the, what was her name? Kristen smart from slow. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen smart. 
Yeah, and literally the only thing that was similar was that they both went to Cal Poly, and but it was just more fuel to the fire. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, he's a serial killer. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, nope, he had nothing to do with that. They didn't even know each other. Yeah. They basically went through, like, mind you, they came out and they were like, Scott Peterson might be linked to this. And then, like, they talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And, like, you know, all the news was talking about it. And then it was like three articles came out to say that it wasn't linked. So it was really unfair. So there's, like, all this stuff out there that Justin felt like he had to say, but this put himself in danger. So people were actually sending him, like, threatening mail. Like, like death threats. Yeah. Yeah, like one person wrote, like you can read it on the screen. It says like, you deserve to die like her and her son. And they like came to his house and trashed his vehicle. And they, you know, they were threatening him for him speaking out for Scott. And I think one of the things he was saying is, I'm not speaking out for Scott. I'm speaking out for the truth. And what these people are saying isn't true. So I want to like, I want to speak the truth. So they replaced him. Mm -hmm. They will replace two more jurors on this case. So they get to the point where they start to show the autopsy and or not. Yeah, the autopsy photos, the finding. And they kind of do this really fucked up thing where they take this beautiful picture of Lacey sitting by herself at like a Christmas party pregnant. And then they show her picture of her body being found. And then they start showing all of the, like, the pictures of Connor and the pictures of her throughout the autopsy. And Scott actually looks away and gets emotional. And then is called out on it for being, like, fake and weak and trying to get sympathy. But mind you, he's having an emotional reaction. It's also pointed out that the jurors actually couldn't see a very clear shot of Scott throughout the whole trial because how the courtroom is set up, you can't see him. Mm -hmm. So when they would say things like, well, Scott didn't get very emotional, it's not necessarily the truth. Yeah, only like what, like a half, if that, could see him. Yeah. Yeah. And then they said that when he did have emotional moments, most of the time he turned and looked at his family and had like these moments with his family Mm. versus having it open and public. So the day finally comes where the prosecution calls their star character witness. This is the prosecution and it's Miss Amber Fry and they call her. Here's what happens. So they give the transcript of all the tapes to the lawyers, right? So Mark and Matt Dalton listen to this. And this other guy whose name I can't remember, but he was just a consultant. So we're not going to we're not going to worry about him. And they read it and they're like, this isn't that bad. And then they listen to it and they're like, fuck, we're screwed. Because when you read it, like if you read what he wrote, it just sounds like sleazy dude. When you listen to what he says, he sounds. Yeah. And we talked about like his tapes and how he sounded like, I think he sounded forced. I think he sounded rehearsed, but he's still saying things to Amber like. um, That are just wildly like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. One of the things that throughout the time she tried to get him to do is like admit that he committed these crimes, but he never did. Amber Fry point blank asks him, do you love your wife and your son? And he goes, I love Lacey. I've loved Lacey for a long time. Like he admitted this to his mistress. It'd been very easy for her to be like, no, because he didn't know at this time that she's recording all this shit. Yeah. This is just unbeknownst to him. Mm -hmm. So the tapes really damn Scott. 
Mind you, when Mark gets up and he does his whole big thing, he his opening statement, he tells everyone how he's going to call all of these witnesses. His main thing was to prove that Lacey was alive in the morning of the 24th, which he feels he does because of the computer analyst. So he decides not to call all of these witnesses, like one right after another, because if they have, he thinks if they have conflicting stories, it's going to weaken their case, Mm -hmm. which a lot of lawyers say is a crapshoot. You should do it because at least if they're saying like, I think I saw Lacey or I saw Lacey, their stories might not 100% line up, but they're people and it's been two years at this point. So, you know, they're trying. Mm -hmm. Then closing arguments come and the prosecution gets up and just fucking nails it like this is an amazing closing statement they basically are like he did it we know he did it we don't know how he did it when he did it or why he did it but he did it but they did it in such a convincing way that the jurors are like golf clap yay and then mark gets up and just fucking like charlie browns that shit and just like it was like that case was the football and Lucy just yanked it out and he fell on his ass. Like, he got up there and it was weak. He didn't say anything he promised. Yeah. Now, the jury then goes into deliberation. It's going to take a few. It's going to take some time. But halfway through about, I want to say, like, three weeks into this, or I don't remember how long. It's been a while since they've been into this. And they're going through everything very methodically. One of the jurors admits that she went home and Googled a fact about the case because something she didn't get an answer to, she wanted an answer to, and so she Googled it. Well, that didn't sit too well, and she gots to go. She ends up leaving, and the most wonderful human being ever replaces her. Her name is Rochelle Knight. Strawberry shortcake. Yeah. I don't even know how to explain this person. She trash. She should not have been on that jury. No. Fuck no. No, no, no. This was like horrible research. One, she lied on her application. They came to find out later. She put on her application that she had never filed a case or been in any kind of case. But that's not true because she had actually filed like a criminal charge against a man who was trying to hurt her when she was pregnant. And then she tries to cover it and say, oh, it wasn't him. It was his ex-girlfriend because she did something to my car. Right. But you still you still did this. You still did this. And you yeah. and you blatantly lied on your application. So she should have been immediately dismissed. Justin earlier wasn't allowed to talk. And then Miss, I just Googled something gets kicked off. But Miss, I perjurized myself gets to live out her crazy little stupid fantasy. Mind you, throughout this whole trial, she's crying and weeping and is very upset and is very emotional. Should probably have been dismissed on that account alone. But for some reason, they're like, nope, let's keep her. She seems like a winner. So then she gets in there and she's like, okay, let's get this done. Let's fry his ass. Let's go. And everyone is like, hold on. We have a process here. And now we have to start over because you're part of it. So the jury foreman was doing an amazing job. He had like notebooks and notebooks of notes. He like it was like a six month trial. And so he was really like doing his due diligence. And everyone hated it because they were done and they just wanted to go home and they hated life and they hated Scott. And so they just wanted to put him away. They didn't give a flying fuck about the truth. So essentially they started to harass and our fuck boy John earlier 
that I talked about, the guy who was rude to Justin, who told on him, essentially, he threatens the jury foreman, this guy named Gary Jackson, I believe, and he ends up quitting being a juror. And they replace him with another person who was so, let's just get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they did. They came back with a decision that he was guilty. They said that when they said he was guilty, he just sat there. Like, he didn't show any emotion, which is probably, like, a thing. He probably was in shock. He was just told he was being found guilty of murdering his wife and son. So then they have to go into the phase of this trial because they were seeking the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So basically, they go into the penalty phase, which began November 30th and concluded on December 13th. And the jury came back with a sentence. They basically came back with a death sentence. Mm -hmm. It's something that was really interesting, in my opinion, because when you have a case where you cannot prove this person without reasonable doubt committed this crime. Also, they don't have any forensic proof, yet they're giving him the capital punishment. Like, I I understood life Mm -hmm. and everything like that. I mean, and he's technically still on death row, but because there's a moratorium in California, we don't execute people here. Mm -hmm. So since this has happened... Scott has filed a couple of appeals, and there's actually, I think, an appeal out right now. His last one. Mm-hmm. And it's basically stating that there was misconduct throughout this trial, mm-hmm. including that um, his own attorney did not perform to the fullest he could have on Scott's behalf because he didn't call the witnesses they had asked for. Um, he, and he didn't do his due diligence. And that fact that like things that like the jury has said, well, this is the damn, this is the evidence that like, you know, this is the evidence that made it like Rochelle said, oh, the evidence that like sealed it for me was the dog scent, but they proved that the dogs didn't even have the certifications to do what they should have done. And the, the item they used to find Lacey, Scott gave to them. So it had Scott sent on it. So it's not even like it was valid. So because Scott had obviously been there and so they would chase down Scott's scent. You don't know whose scent he was hitting off of. And basically what it boils down to is they have to determine if Lacey Peterson was out walking her dog on the morning of the 24th of December in 2002. Because if she's out walking her dog at that time, Scott Peterson is an innocent man. Because he was out of town, he was leaving out of town and she was seen out and they didn't bring any of those people. The police didn't interview them. There was just a lot of like mishandled things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, where it sits right now, there is a website out there. It's Scott's Appeals. They'll actually like run down the facts for you. Like they'll tell you like, oh, this is the conception that you have of what's happening but this is actually what it is like one of the things that they say is that Lacey's body was found with the pants she was wearing the night before but like it's disputed because the pants that Amy picks out that she was wearing ends up being um the tan pants yeah that are in her way or in her like wash basket yeah you know they really have to do the timeline better and figure out 
like all these sightings and nail this down. And I think at the end of the day, Scott Peterson deserves another trial because there was just a lot of people out against him and they should not have tried Scott Peterson's case in the Bay Area where the news originally broke Lacey's disappearance. They should have moved it to Southern California where he would have probably had a more fair trial because it probably wasn't as saturated. But at that point, it was on CNN. It was on Larry King Live. It was every day. They were going like it was during the Iraq war. And so it was either the Iraq war or Scott Peterson. So where in this country could you really give him a fair trial? And if that's the case, like, I don't know if they're asking for him, his whole charges to be overturned or if they're just asking for a lesser sentence. I mean, he's right now, because the state of California has a moratorium, he's not going to be put to death. But that depends on, I mean, for right now, Governor Newsom is keeping it. But who knows what the the next election? I mean, the next election is a few years away, but we don't know. Right. This case is definitely one that is... (laughs) been an obsession of mine Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors that the modesto pd put out there early on and he was tried in the port of public opinion far before Lacey was found we're talking as soon as you know as soon as amber fry made that conference Mm -hmm. it was done yeah yeah it was done They basically said, Scott Peterson's our man. We don't care who else did it. They obviously didn't look into other things very seriously. Mm -hmm. There was a one at one point in time, there was like a, a tape that came out later that after the trial and Scott was in prison and it was two other people talking about Lacey Peterson and this case. And it was like shortly after, like either he was in trial or going to prison. And they were like, dude, don't talk about that. And then when they go to like bring this in as an appeal, like all of a sudden this prison guard can't talk about it. And it's probably because he was told that he would lose his job. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, weirder things have happened. So it's true. It's true. There's a lot of weird coincidences and there's a lot of things that don't sit right with me. But I feel like the biggest thing with this case was he was a cheater. So that means he killed her. Those don't mean the same thing. So I feel like there is a chance he did it because you can look at, you know, like Chris Watts and other people who've killed their spouses. Like, yeah, because that's something, too, they bring up all the time is. There's such a high percentage of people who kill their spouses and who kill their pregnant spouses. Sure, fair. And of course, he didn't want this life. He didn't want that, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, I just, it blows my mind that they can put someone to death when they have no concrete evidence that he did this. Right. Like in the Chris Watts case, Chris Watts. He told them. He told them and then he took them to the bodies. Like right. Scott Peterson, he gave them the alibi before they knew she was just not wandering the neighborhood lost. Right. And just like from the beginning, how Detective Bra- uh, Bracconi or whatever his name is. <laughs> it's like, it it's like, guys. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's one thirty in the morning. <laughs> it's like from the beginning, like who, who takes a man into an investigation room and records when they're just trying to get some basic information. Yeah, Scott lied that time. But you know what? He wasn't under oath. Like, that's what people forget is that, yeah, you don't, you're not supposed to lie to the police because it's not 
good, but it, you're it's if you're not under oath, it, I don't think it's technically illegal. I think it's bad. You shouldn't lie, but like, why would you tell them like, oh yeah, by the way, I had a missing like my my wife's missing, but I have a girlfriend. I just I don't know. I'm still undecided, and it's just like he's just not the smartest dude. And made a lot of bad decisions. But does that mean he's a murderer? I don't know. So I feel like they should absolutely relook at things. Just everything was just so fucked. I just, it's just, ugh. It doesn't sit right with me on both sides. Right. There's the possibility that Scott killed Lacey. There is a possibility. It's also highly probable that he didn't kill his wife. And I think this is the thing is like people think like, oh, if you don't think he killed his wife, you are like in love with Scott or you think he's like amazing. And it's like, I don't think that I think he's a trash human being because he cheated on his wife. And I get that. Like I mentioned earlier before, whenever that like 4% of married men cheat on their spouses, but not 4% of men kill their spouses. That's just not a thing. That's. There would be far too many deaths in this country, and we don't have that many. And Tara and I would have endless cases to report to you guys. I think that it is a possibility that he didn't want that life and that he wasn't willing to have it and that he could have killed her. But I think the more logical thing to do would be for him to just file for divorce. Mm-hmm. to leave her for Amber. I think that would have been the much... I can't talk because now it doesn't sound right. The more realistic thing. Thank you. <laughs> I also, like I said earlier, I don't think he ever had any intention of ending up with Amber Fry. Unfortunately, Amber Fry is the woman you cheat with before you settle down. Mm-hmm. She's the Monica Lewinsky of life. Like, yeah. you know, it's it sucks that that happens for Amber Fry and that she'll be forever known as the woman who everyone thinks that Scott Peterson killed his wife for, but I don't think it's that moment. I honestly, like, I would say that I go back and forth, but I'm pretty sure that Scott Peterson didn't kill his wife. I know that's a hot take and people are like, oh my God, Jessica, what? Don't say that kind of thing. But like, I'm a person who believes in hard proof. And I know that I talked about like in the Dulce Alvarez episode that I don't think that um, Noemi had a lot of emotion. But I also think that there's a difference, and I know this sounds sexist, between men and women and their emotions. I think Scott was just trying to be strong and maybe doesn't want people he doesn't know to see him cry. But there is plenty of footage out there. There are There is plenty of footage out there where you do see Scott tear up, especially at that candlelight vigil. Yes, he called Amber, but he got sad. There's the moment that everyone's like, look, he's smiling at her vigil. Because somebody probably said something to cheer him up and his smile looks forced and he looks like, huh, thanks. Like, you know, like he's trying, like someone's trying to make him feel better. And so he's laughing along. I just, I think that until you have a missing spouse, like I can't really say what, what I would do. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'd go crazy, but I don't know that I would act correct or normal and I don't know if there is a normal there shouldn't definitely be a normal for a situation like this because the situation shouldn't happen Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things that could have happened I mean for fuck's sake Amber Fry could have killed her that's just as probable as Scott Peterson killing her with just as much motive like if if the motive that Scott killed his wife because he wanted to run off with Amber that's the same motive that Amber killed Lacey because she found out about her and did not want her in the picture Right. Well, we could go on for hours, but um, I think two episodes that are probably very lengthy are plenty. So (laughs) 
We are going to go ahead and wrap things up. We would love to hear your guys' opinions on this case. It's a very hot topic even all these years later. So drop comments on any of the socials and let us know what, what your take is. And if you have not watched that documentary on Hulu, the title is it's just The Murder of Lacey Peterson, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I have a few that I watch, so I'll put them in there. You have hours of Hulu watching experience ahead of you. Yeah, and I got a bunch of stuff on YouTube plus that. And uh, yeah, definitely watch it if you haven't. After that, kind of let us know your thoughts too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we are going to go ahead and wrap things up. And we will catch you in the next episode. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.